This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Long. I am here with my fabulous co-host for the series, Danielle King. Hey, everybody. So we are in the middle of the statement on the gospel and social justice. Social justice and the gospel. Social justice and the gospel. If you are not caught up, be sure to go and listen to the first episode so that you will know what the fuck we're talking about. It's true. Um, and you'll be all caught up. We will wait while you do that. <laughs> Hello, welcome back. <laughs> so now that you're so now that you're now all, that caught, you're all up, caught up, uh, we're going to move on with our response to the statement. Also, I just have to add, Danielle and I, we are aware of our privilege, but we are still kind of working through this stuff. So both of us are are open to criticism. And so especially from people of color or other minorities. Yeah. Yeah. Like, please, please, you know, it isn't your job to correct us. Like it isn't your job to (laughs) go out of your way. But if you feel moved to correct some, you know, a couple of white people on the Internet. Mm -hmm. But if you feel so moved, we are really open to learning or fellow white people, fellow Fellow white people who who might know better than mm-hmm. we do, we want to hear from you as well. Yeah, we're still working this out, and I feel like in the previous episode we were kind of fumbling through some stuff, or at least I was, kind of. No, I'll, I'll take that. Yep. You know, fumbling mm-hmm. through verbalizing some very stuff complex that issues. maybe we aren't very used to verbalizing. Yeah. But we do take this seriously. We want to learn. We want to be corrected. And we want to hear your perspective. So I just want to start this episode by saying that. Do you have anything to add to that point? Only that I 100% agree. Yeah. I Like, I'm I'm <laughs> always just, like, yeah. I'm, I feel really comfortable talking about LGBT issues because that's my thing. Like, well, and I feel very comfortable talking about my experience as a woman. Exactly. Like, I do. But, and, yeah. and I can talk to, you know, I can speak into the subject of homosexuality. I, I just, this is something that I don't have the language for or mm-hmm. my ideas aren't as clear Fully on formed. it but my heart is willing <laughs> my my heart is willing and i want to be corrected and if you do correct me i promise i won't get angry i promise i won't get defensive that is a promise on my part and mm-hmm. if i don't hold that promise hold me to it or i will yes or danielle will and he can hold me too absolutely yeah no i i Oh, God forbid, God forbid, God save me from being the person who won't listen to, you know, the perspectives of someone yes. else yes. who's who, coming from a different perspective. Who than won't me. listen to someone else and and take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And just instantly go into defensiveness. Yeah, no, I, I do not want to be that person. And here is a public admission to me not wanting to be that person. And if I am that person you can publicly hold me to that fire (laughs) you have my permission to do that i i know that people would do it anyway with or without my permission which i appreciate okay so we're moving on to the next uh affirmation we are moving on to number six Mm -hmm. shall i read this one yeah Mm -hmm. okay number six gospel we affirm that the gospel is the divinely revealed message concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, especially his virgin 
birth, righteous life, substitutionary sacrifice, atoning death, and bodily resurrection, revealing who he is and what he has done with the promise that he will save anyone and everyone who turns from sin by trusting him as Lord. We deny that anything else, whether works to be performed or opinions to be held, can be added to the gospel without perverting it into another gospel. This also means that the implications and applications of the gospel, such as the obligation to live justly in the world, though legitimate and important in their own right, are not definitional components of the gospel. Okay. Bullshit. It is bullshit. Bullshit. You just said anyone who turns from sin, repentance involves turning from sin. And so living justly is an is, yes. is an outcome is an outcome of turning from sin. Walking justly is an outcome of the gospel. And oh, what's that whole thing? Gracious. What's that whole thing? I know this is a passage that a lot of Protestants, you know, shy away from, but but faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead, guys. It's in it's Be- in the Bible. Because without works. It's in the book of James. It is in the book of James. Because if you aren't walking justly. Then you haven't repented. Then you haven't fucking repented. Which <laughs> means to turn. To turn from sin is to repent. Yes. Exactly. Oh it's a, it's so this is contradictory on its face. I I'm I'm frustrated. Yes. <laughs> already I'm frustrated, guys. Yeah, no, this this statement is on its face. It just seems so contradictory. Contradictory. To me. You you can't you can't have a living faith if it does not cause you to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. And that's not a prohibition, it's a positive command. Yes. That's not a don't steal. That's a love your neighbor as yourself. Feed him if he is experiencing <laughs> hunger. Clothe him if he is experiencing he or she is experiencing nakedness. Yeah. Uh, you know, help him or her if they are the victims of oppression. Anyway. So in in other words, you cannot separate justice and social justice from, from the, the gospel. gospel. I don't they, believe you can. They are so interwoven. And if you have the gospel without justice, then it isn't gospel. Then it isn't the good news. I'm sorry. Exactly. You can preach good news to the poor all you want, but if it doesn't make a difference in their daily lives, it's not good news. Exactly. I think that's enough on that one. I think that's that. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's. All right. You'll, All right. You read the next I one. Will read. Do you need to use mine? No. Got it. Okay. Salvation. Here we go, guys. Here we go. Be sure to speak into the mic. I shall. Number seven, salvation. We affirm that salvation is granted by God's grace alone, received through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Every believer is united to Christ, justified before God, and adopted into his family. Thus, in God's eyes, there is no difference in spiritual value or worth among those who are in Christ. Further, all who are united to Christ are also united to one another, regardless of age, ethnicity, or sex. All believers are being conformed to the image of Christ. By God's regenerating and sanctifying grace, all believers will be brought to a final, glorified, sinless state of perfection in the day of Jesus Christ. I don't disagree. Yeah. <laughs> but I have a feeling I'm about to. We deny that salvation can be received in any other way. We also deny that salvation renders any Christian free from all remaining sin or immune from even grievous sin in this life. 
We further deny that ethnicity excludes anyone from understanding the gospel, nor does anyone's ethnic or cultural heritage mitigate or remove the duty to repent and believe. Amen, guys. Amen. I'm not sure what they're getting at here, but amen. I'm not like, sure what they're getting at either. On the face either. of it, I agree with all of that. I, I feel absolutely like, do. I, I feel, feel like, like there are things that are being implied but not said that I might disagree with. Me too. But on the face of it, this is absolutely correct. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm in a different place with my faith, so I, I'm not sure if I would tick every box here, but I don't I don't but in terms have of a conflict ethnicity with ethnicity excluding anyone. Oh yeah, yeah. Gospel, no, that that I have no not. conflict with. I at wonder all. if that's a dig at liberation theology. And I don't know liberation theology well enough to know Neither do if I. it excludes any ethnic groups wholesale from the grace of the gospel. Like, I just don't know. I'm trying to figure out, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that on its face is all I really have to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Moving on. Here we go. I feel like in some of these, sta- in a lot of these statements, there always has to be just the basic affirmations of the faith. Yeah. Just the, the sort of things that everyone agrees with. And then like they'll slip in some things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that are like, oh, wait a minute. Uh Okay, so the next one, number eight, the church. We affirm that the primary role of the church is to worship God through the preaching of his word, teaching sound doctrine, observing baptism and the Lord's Supper, refuting those who contradict, equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. We affirm that when the primacy of the gospel is maintained, that this often has a positive effect on the culture in which various societal ills are mollified. We affirm that under the lordship of Christ, we are to obey the governing authorities established by God and pray for civil leaders. This all feels so tangential to the actual, I mean, kind of. It, kind of. Anyway. I feel like the denials are where the meat of it comes yeah, in, where, yeah. the, where the the other foot drops. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's true. I might quibble some with the, we affirm that when the primacy of the gospel is maintained, that this often has a positive effect on the culture in which various societal ills are I mean, mollified. Because, I here's the thing. Wilbur Wilberforce didn't go around preaching the gospel and expect that to, to bring about abolition in the British Empire. He fought long and hard in parliament yeah he He fought so many political battles on so many fronts oh my gosh you guys for years he had to fight it in in, within the british legal system he was not a preacher he did not get up from his pulpit and just yell about the evils of slavery he went and was political and i mean you know the same can be said for others who have affected social change martin luther king jr did not only speak from the pulpit, he uh, he galvanized a political movement. Well, there's that and the fact that the Bible is not this magical presence in a community no. that will somehow make it more moral. That's no. That's not true. And that's what I'm hearing here is this belief that the Bible, there's no evidence to suggest that the Bible is like this social homeopathic remedy that when applied <laughs> to a social body, that body will suddenly become free from its moral ills. There's just no evidence. I don't think maybe maybe they trade out certain moral ills for other moral ills, but the Bible itself does not make the presence of the Bible does not necessarily mean 
that they're going to be more or less moral. I Does mean, that make sense? People have used the Bible to justify all sorts oh, of things. Oh, horrific things. It yeah. all comes down to interpretation. Yeah. Let me see. Okay, we deny that political or social activism should be viewed as integral components of the gospel or primary to the mission of the church. Okay, here we go. Here we go, guys. <laughs> Though believers can and should utify, utilize all lawful means that God has providentially established to have some effect on the laws of a society, we deny that these activities are either evidence of saving faith or constitute a central part of the church's mission given to her by Jesus Christ, her head. That Okay, we deny that laws or regulations possess any inherent power to change sinful hearts. I mean, I'll go with that last one. But does it, though? <laughs> I think it might. No, I mean, you it, can compel someone to, you know, well, give to the poor, but, but you but can't we make can them change, want to. But we can change, we can change culture, culture through law, yes. which then does, in fact, change can, society. Can, yeah. No. There is a certain measure of social engineering that does actually uh, work. Like forcing integration... Eventually, in a generation Eventually can change hearts. Like... <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, I'm sorry that it does. You see, you see what I'm saying? I, I do. I do, actually. And um, yeah. We, well, and here's the thing. If believers should utilize all lawful means that God has providentially established to have some effect on the laws of a society, then how can you say that it's not... If you, if you can say that they should, why can you say that they should if it is not integral to the gospel or primary to the mission of the church? You could, I guess you could just say, oh, it'd be nice. Or even saying, saying that should. it Or even saying that it wasn't put... Okay, what was that phrase? Uh, we deny that these activities are either evidence of saving faith or constitute a central part of the church's mission given to her by Jesus Christ, her head. Saying oh, that, boy. that this wasn't given to the church by Jesus Christ, her head, I'm sorry, that's bullshit. Because I've heard a lot from conservatives about their, quote, obligation to fight the culture war. And this seems to me like a like a refutation of that. Yeah, exactly. Like. Exactly. <laughs> and it also makes me wonder, like, well, then what is the church? What good is the church? I mean, I suppose is it just they would say, you know, you can, again, you can perform charity on an individual level. But you're not, you know, we're not necessarily obligated to. And that's nice. Yeah. That's fine. But. Is it, I mean, are they saying <laughs> is that. Is it loving your neighbor as yourself? Are they saying that it's necessary for salvation? Is, is that, I, I mean, is what they're saying that it isn't necessary for salvation? I think that's part of what they're saying. And yeah. to, in, in a way, I would agree with them. In a way, there. I, I almost wouldn't. I mean, there are some terrifying passages in the Gospels where Christ is like, you know, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. That I was is thirsty true. and you did not give me drink. Depart that is from a me. good I point. I do not know you. Um, and that, that is a that very good point. That would point more towards personal charity than towards, say, you know, group action to change unjust laws. But you're going to love your neighbor as yourself and people are being, you know, harmed by the effects of unjust systems. And that's the primary law. I mean... Then that, then, yes. No, that's a good point. That that's a good point. I cannot separate working for the good of oppressed peoples, as you may be called to that function by God, from a full a full working of the church in the world. And and no, not everyone I don't think is going to be called to be as politically active as say a Wilbur a William Wilberforce. Yeah. But some people probably are and will be. Yeah. And that will be part of the 
body of Christ, the church, at work in the world. Yeah. And especially, oh boy, especially if we're going to claim to be a quote-unquote Christian nation. Granted, this specific statement has not claimed that. Yeah. But I have heard that from <laughs> many conservatives fundamental fundamentalist evangelicals yeah you know we're we're a christian nation well what the heck does that mean yeah if we're not going to then use the na the national power and wealth and clout that we have to follow the commands of christ in the world uh, yeah no the idea that that feeding the hungry for example would then be something that we as a nation would not do the idea that trying to establish a more just society would be something that we as a quote-unquote christian nation would not do i'm 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 astounded by by those sorts of claims yeah me too no uh, yeah i agree i think that's all i can say let's move on to the next one oh, oh heresy we affirm that heresy is a denial or of or departure from a doctrine that is essential to the christian faith we further affirm that heresy often involves the replacement of key essential truths with variant concepts or the elevation of non-essentials to the status of essentials. Oh, boy. To embrace heresy <laughs> is to depart from the faith once delivered to the saints and thus to be on a path towards spiritual destruction. We affirm that the accusation of heresy should be reserved for those departures from Christian truth that destroy the quote-unquote weight-bearing doctrines of the redemptive core of Scripture. We affirm that accusations of heresy should be accompanied with clear evidence of such destructive beliefs. There is a lot in here. This isn't as hard-hitting as I expected it to be. I expected them to name names and, like, take numbers. Yeah. Nope. Like, this isn't yeah. nearly as, like, confrontational as I was expecting. It's it's much more, it's like... It's very general. Yeah. It's very roundabout and general and... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, there are the creeds, which, granted, are not scripture, but are often considered to contain sort of the core. This is, if you believe this, you're a Christian. And if you don't, well, maybe you're not. Yeah. Um, by which I mean the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, which, again, were developed by the Catholic Church. Huh. But, you know, and they say things like God, creator of heaven and earth. He is eternal. And Jesus Christ is the son of God, born of a virgin. And, you know, it's some very, very basic Christian doctrines. Those creeds do not typically say much about be human behavior. They mostly just talk about God and who he is and, you know, what he's going to do. Right. It's almost so general as to be a little bit meaningless. Yeah. Well, did you read the deny as well? Nope. Okay. The denial is even there. more general, I feel yeah. like. Go ahead and read the it denial. Says, we deny that the charge of heresy can be legitimately brought against every failure to achieve perfect conformity to all that is implied in sincere faith in the gospel. I guess that means every time someone sins, we can't call them a heretic. I might argue, though, that if someone were to steal and then refuse to repent of that theft or to make reparations that then you yeah. might be able to like have have at least a stern talking to with someone. Again, I, I you know, heresy is a very specific charge. But I, I feel like I'm missing context. Me too. Because I feel like they are responding to something. They have something in particular in mind that I am just not aware of. I feel like, yeah. Well, and I feel like 
it's possible that they're coming at this from the angle that, say, more liberal Christian denominations who believe in, say, social justice have leveled maybe at these conservatives the charge of heresy because they have not engaged in social justice in the ways that these other Christian people want them to or have done. Maybe that I feel like this is a this is more a hey guys you can't call us heretics if we don't do social justice because here's what it you know here's what heresy is, but I, that's at least the sense I get is that it's defensive. Yeah, no that offensive. that definitely rings true. Yeah. Also, the word heretic is used in so many different ways. Also, everybody to mean is so many different things. Heretic. So yeah. I I have a separate cod- podcast. <laughs> I have a separate podcast on Patreon called The House of Heretics. Yeah. And I own the title of being a heretic. I I on my Instagram description I have like Jezebel spirit, <laughs> false teacher, false prophet, <laughs> heretic. <laughs> Like everyone is every everyone is somebody else's heretic. And I feel like the word heretic is another one of those meaningless words that gets bandied about that gets bandied. And and even when someone tries to define it more clearly, like they're trying to do here, I still think it's kind of an incoherent word. Basically, all it means is we disagree with you or we don't like Uh, the way you're disagreeing with us or we don't like your use of this word, all of which is meaningless. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm fascinated by to depart from the faith, quote, once delivered to the saints, as though it, like, came in this package, (laughs) just fully formed, just (laughs) totally ready. Here you go, saints, here it is. And not, you know, the faith. A messy act of evolution. A messy act of something that has developed over time, really, truly changed and developed over time. So that that reveals, reveals, you know, one kind of bias there. Honestly, they're... They're talking like Catholics, which fascinates me because I'm sure they would, you know. Yeah, they are talking about Catholics. I was about to say that, actually. (laughs) Using a lot of sort of very Catholic sounding language and phrases. And I'm 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 fascinated by that. I am. I am, too. From a reformed. Some background, dear listeners, Danielle, uh, former Catholic would probably. Well, former Roman Catholic. Yeah, I am. I don't even know what I am anymore. But almost converted to Catholicism, and Catholicism is very much in our blood. Okay, so... All right, your turn. And you get the, you get a juicy one. Oh, dear. Oh, this is a juicy one. Yeah. Sexuality and marriage. Number 10. We affirm that God created mankind, male and female, and that this divinely determined distinction is good, proper, and to be celebrated. <sighs> Maleness and femaleness are biologically determined at conception and are not subject to change. The curse of sin results in sinful, disordered affections that manifest in some people as same-sex attractions. Salvation grants sanctifying power to renounce such dishonorable affections as sinful and to mortify them by the Spirit. We further affirm that God's design for marriage is that one woman and one man live in a one-flesh covenantal sexual relationship until separated by death. Those who lack the desire or opportunity for marriage are called to serve God in singleness and chastity. This is a noble calling. This is as noble a calling as marriage. I agree with that last sentence. 
Sure. That, that, that those who are called to celibacy. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, and I had to make this clear during the Revoice episode as well. Like, I, I affirm celibacy. Like, mm-hmm. if you feel like as you're... A calling. If you're... If you feel like you need to be celibate, or maybe you're asexual, or maybe you, if you don't... you find celibacy life-giving, if yeah. you feel a call to it, you know, via the Spirit of God. Go all, all that is great. Mm-hmm. In, in the same way, I believe two consenting adults should be able to do what they want to do. As long as it's informed consent and they don't harm anyone, I'm very much a utilitarian in that way. I think you have the right and the freedom and should have the support to be celibate. And it is a noble thing. Okay, there's so much there, but I'm just so over it. I was going to say, I feel like we've talked and talked we've and talked, talked about and, this. Like, I've, yeah. I've just done gay screeching oh, about honey, this baby, for so though. long. Oh, but like, so we, I feel like we've kind of covered uh, the first part. But let's talk about this denial. Okay, let's go on to the <laughs> denial. Okay, and and when we say we've already talked about that, the Danvers Statement series, the mm-hmm. Bibli- Council for Biblical mm-hmm. Manhood and Womanhood series, the uh-huh. Nashville Statement series, like we've yep. done a we've done a lot of this. It's it's talked. Okay, we deny we deny that human sexuality is a socially constructed concept. Me that's too. not that's yeah. not Me what too. the fuck that means. Anyway, <laughs> that's not what we're saying. <laughs> Jesus anyway. Christ. Okay, we, we deny that human sexuality is a socially constructed concept. That's not what anyone is saying. We also deny that one sex can be fluid. We can talk about that, that in a minute. That, that's, not, that's not what we're saying. We, <laughs> or at least not what I'm saying. Mm. We reject gay Christian as a legitimate biblical category. That's fine. Yeah. We further deny that any kind of partnership or union can properly be called marriage other than one man and one woman in lifelong covenant together. This is where I wish I'd done my research and found out if any of the signatories were divorced and remarried. <laughs> anyway. We further deny that people should be identified as sexual minorities, which serves as a cultural classification rather than one that honors the image-bearing character of human sexuality as oh, created by God. Oh, goodness sake. Okay. Oh, for goodness sake. Okay. Does, okay, even if I were to, even if I were to say that homosexuality is sinful, which to be clear, obviously I don't. Yeah. But even if I were to say that, would me saying that I live with mental illness, that I live with depression, I am a depressive, to say that, that I am a melancholic, that I that I live with mental illness to acknowledge that and to name that is that detracting from my image bearing quality. Is that detracting from my human dignity? I guess so. Is calling Maybe someone if I were blind and I said I was blind. That is knows? using is, is, is calling someone an amputee. No, I, I think is someone think, calling an alcoholic. I think the special thing here, the especially special thing here, the code that's not being spoken is that the idea is I, I think there's implying here that people choose to be gay. And that's the idea. Like, you right, know, this isn't an innate thing. This is not something you're born with. This is not something that, you know, you well, can't help. This is something you choose. And so if right. you call yourself gay, well, then... Well, and in the pre in one of the previous statements, they or in, maybe it was this one, I don't know. They did say that 
that same sex attraction can be mortified by Christ or can be yeah can, can be can be changed overcome overcome changed. through Christ which means that that basically to be gay is a choice by omission yeah that is still it, so basically they're saying if you you aren't choosing to let this be healed through Christ therefore, therefore you are you choosing cannot Claim it as part of your identity. Yeah. You know, you're choosing to have this as part you are of your choosing identity. choosing to not you let this be overcome choosing to be a sexual minority and therefore cannot receive, you know, right. classification as a... On on this point, I just, uh, I just have to go back to what does the Holy Scripture of reality say? <laughs> what do we observe what do in we the observe? world around us? Exactly. And what we observe is that sexual orientation does not change even when it is, quote unquote, overcome through Christ. Mm-hmm. Ex-gay ministry does not have a good track record. We could put some links in a description to people yes. for whom this has proven true. Or go listen to my episode with Peterson Toscano. Yeah. Um, the yeah. ex-gay episode with Peterson Toscano, where he does a great job of talking about this. Yeah. I, at this point, I... There's no reconciling. Mm-hmm. There is no reconciliation here between my beliefs and theirs. We just have fundamentally just have fundamentally different. We beliefs. just have a fundamentally different worldview. Also, I also deny that human sexuality is a socially constructed yes, concept. Yes, me too. It's something that people innately experience. Yes, that is not. That's absurd. <laughs> that is okay. That just proves oh. how much they did not do their homework. Yeah. That just proves how much they did not do their their job here sexuality is not socially constructed gender might be our experience of gender might to a certain degree mm-hmm. to what degree i don't know, I don't know. but there is no doubt in my mind that to some degree gender is socially constructed to some degree yeah no i mean people have put all kinds of baggage onto very you know yeah. onto male and female and what that supposedly means for everyone and anyway yeah by rejecting great gay Christian as a legitimate biblical category, you are rejecting some of your most vulnerable brothers and sisters and shame on you. Yes, absolutely. Shame on you. That's all I really have to say about that one. Also, shame on you for not understanding why it is important to certain people to own that identity. They own it as a survival mechanism. You know, I owned the word gay and I I owned the word gay and I owned the word queer because that sense of solidarity with a group was about the only thing that got me through college. It was about the only thing that helped me survive, even when I believed it was sinful, mm. understanding that there was this group, this family, and the word gay bound me to that. And it was pain that drove me to that. And the word gay has done it a lot for me and the word queer because they have bound me to other people and to a lineage and to a group that gets it. And if you don't want people to do that, then you as the church just need to do better. <laughs> yeah. If you don't want people to identify with a certain people group, then fucking do better. Do a better job of accepting them, loving them, providing for them. And frankly, I am skeptical that you will ever be able to do that because your ideology is, in my view, fundamentally broken. So you will never be able to do it. So you resort to these lazy, half-assed proclamations that it's sinful to identify as a gay Christian while failing to acknowledge why people do that in the first place. Just saying. Just saying. All right.
Well, I get another juicy one that, again, I feel like we've tread this ground many we're, times. We're blazing through I this. I know. Well, that's the thing. These middle ones, a lot of these middle ones, we've talked so much about. Yeah. And again, Danvers Statement Series, uh, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood Series, Nashville Statement Series. If you want to hear some of this hashed out a little more, please go to those because I'm tired of talking. Yeah. This. Biblical Manhood and Womanhood ah. and the Danvers Statement also has the fabulous Donald. Yes. And he's and, amazing. And if and you please, haven't heard Donald oh, on this please. show, if you haven't heard Donald on this show yet, you are missing out. You're missing out on this guy. Anyway. I get this statement about complementarianism. Oh, dear. Here we go. We affirm that God created mankind, both male and female, with inherent biological and personal distinctions between them, and that these created differences are good, proper, and beautiful. There is, Though there is no difference between men and women before God's law or as recipients of his saving grace, we affirm that God has designed men and women with distinct traits and to fulfill distinct roles. These differences are most clearly defined in marriage and the church, but are not irrelevant in other spheres of life. In marriage, the husband is to lead, love, and safeguard his wife, and the wife is to respect and to be submissive to her husband in all things lawful. In the church, qualified men alone are to lead as pastors, elders, bishops, and preach to and teach the whole congregation. We further affirm that the image of God is expressed most fully and beautifully in human society when men and women walk in obedience to their God-ordained roles and serve according to their God-given gifts. Uh. We deny that the God-ordained differences in men's and women's roles disparage the inherent spiritual worth or value of one over the other, nor do those differences in any way inhibit either men or women from, from flourishing for the glory of God. <sighs> bullshit 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 i also this is the point at which i need to make the differentiation i need to differentiate between complementarity mm. and complementarianism mm-hmm. the first part of this statement is complementarity sure where there are diff- observable differences between men and women biologically they're there for example danielle Yes. Do you have a vagina? I do. Why, Stephen, do you have a penis? Why, in fact, I do. (laughs) Okay, so there are observable differences. And, and of course, we're really doing simple reduction here down to genitalia. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are men who do not have penises, and there are women who do not have vaginas. And... But That's we don't. A thing. But we yeah. don't want to confuse the uh, the authors of this too much. No. So so we just <laughs> maybe that's a conversation for another time. I think it is. Yeah. Um, but yes, when it comes to cis people, cisgender people, there are of there are biological differences. There are athletic differences. There are. I mean, for example, when I ran cross country, when I when I was a racer, men and women competed in different races because women have smaller hearts it's, as as a general rule and in general and shorter gen- legs and, and in general yeah, exactly it's all generalities these, these are all approximations mm-hmm. this is all kind of on a spectrum so yes of course there are observable differences between men and women yes they can complement each other they don't necessarily complement each other but they can men and men in romantic relationships can complement each other Women and women can complement each other. Yep. So, but yes, 
between the sexes, there is... There are some observable general differences. And there is, and they do sometimes complement each other. However, then we make the leap from that to to gender roles and that these roles are God-ordained. That moves from complementarity to complementarianism, that these Mm -hmm. differences are not just normal, but that they are are normative. And that is the difference, to say that these are just naturally occurring differences in men and women, neither moral nor not moral, and it is okay that some people experience fluidity through them. To move from that to including gender roles and saying that these differences are preordained by God. Okay, that is complementarianism. And we've we've talked in other episodes, particularly what the Danvers statement. Yes. About why that doesn't fit with the whole picture of scripture by taking specific examples from the Old and New Testaments of women who functioned as deaconesses, as prophetesses, as leaders of various kinds. Or judges. Or judges. Yeah, no, let's talk about Deborah for a minute. Anyway, but yeah, no, and the idea that these prescribed and prescriptive, rigid gender roles don't inhibit either men or women from flourishing for the glory of God is bullshit. It just is. Women can and have been called to be pastors and leaders and teachers, and I'm sorry they have. And not letting them is... Inhibiting that. Is inhibiting the gospel. I'm sorry, not letting women preach is inhibiting the gospel. If Mary Magdalene had obeyed this this teaching the disciples would not have heard the good might not have heard the good news of the resurrection like she was the first one christ appeared to after he was resurrected and he told her to go preach the gospel to his disciples so on that on that point or or even junia yeah like and and (laughs) all of these female leaders in the early church yeah to which i wonder priscilla junia Mm -hmm. to which i wonder like have you ever heard a good rebuttal to that from the complimentary i honestly don't know like as you were saying that about uh, mary magdalene just like just trying to think have i heard actually a good rebuttal and maybe i haven't been looking hard enough listeners out there if you know of one please share it i want to know Share it with us send it Mm -hmm. to me on twitter i'd love to know or email it to me but But i haven't sure i have i haven't actually see like i've been watching rachel held evans talk about and sarah bessie and other people talk, talk about, about this for this years a lot. Yeah. For so, and i don't know if i've actually heard a good response i'm not sure i have either <laughs> granted as i say i haven't necessarily been looking for them so if somebody right. out there will will do my ho- dirty work for me <laughs> which is basically what i'm asking but if you want to and you want to you know give us a rebuttal please do one of the great things about being a podcaster is you're your audience starts to do a lot of the work for you. <laughs> starts it's to very, do your homework for you. It's very nice. Uh, <laughs> all right. The next one's even juicier. Oh, dear. Yeah. Because this is what I feel like we haven't yet, you haven't yet, I haven't yet talked a lot about in reference oh, to all Oh, dear. This. Okay. Yeah. The next one is Wraith. 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 <laughs> the, <laughs> the next one is race and ethnicity. I'm going to go into this with a caveat. I really don't know what I'm talking about here. So if I do some fumbling here, I'm sorry. We affirm God made all people from one man. Though people can, though people often can be distinguished by different ethnicities and nationalities, they are ontological equals before God in both creation and redemption. That's great. Sure. Race is not a biblical category. Fuck. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not. 
It's really not. But you see the but but no. What about Judaism? What about the Jews? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, that's that's more ethnicity than race. Oh, I, yeah, there were people a, of say you know, especially when they came out of Egypt, they were joined by quote a great multitude, in, which would have included some you know people of African descent, for example, who then were assimilated into the Jewish culture and nation. But you know what I mean, like well, yeah, right. But weren't the Jewish people? in biblical times like the biggest identitarians yes they the prayer <laughs> you know in, yes um, a bible teacher told me that a common prayer was god thank you for not making me a gentile or a woman that would have been a little later yeah in judaism yeah but like yeah the biggest fucking identitarians ever kind of talk about identity politics just read oh the my bible gosh. read the old testament read the old let's testament do, let's do it <laughs> Like, do you see what I'm saying? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. So race is not a biblical category, but rather a social construct that often has been used to classify groups of people in terms of inferiority and superiority. That is true. That's true. It's very true. All that is good, honest, just, and beautiful in various ethnic backgrounds and experiences can be celebrated as the fruit of God's grace. All sinful actions and their results, including evils perpetrated between and upon ethnic groups by others, are to be confessed as sinful, repented of, and repudiated. But wait! But wait! But wait, didn't they just... But wait! But wait, didn't they just say... Oh, but only by the people who actually did it. And if you're if you're a few generations down, like then you're fine. Okay, so so <laughs> by the way, to that point, in the previous episode, I said that I need to. I made this kind of complicated distinction where I don't feel like I'm being asked to repent of my ancestors' slaveholding, of of them holding of them owning slaves. But I do have to. But I grieve for that and i do have to repent of i do have to repent of the lessons and biases and ways that i still enact and live that system i think i'm just going i think i do need to backtrack on that and say i just need to repent hmm. i feel like hmm. you know as i've thought about it between episodes i don't feel culpable for their individual actions, for my great-great-grandfather's actions. But at the same time, I'm still part of that system. And I feel like I need to repent of that system. And I don't know where the distinction is between me and them, necessarily. That isn't clear to me. And so I think the safest route is to just repent. And I think so I think I'm going to backtrack on that and actually say that I need to repent of my ancestry. And to me, repent means using my privilege to turn things around. To to help right the to wrongs. To help right the wrongs. To me, that repent. Are being committed. And also to me, I have a very Eastern view of sin. I don't see sin as having anything to do with innate worth. And I feel like that might be something that's missed here. I don't see sin as speaking to my innate worthiness before God mm. or as a human being, but rather as a sickness of which I must be cured. And therefore, okay. when I repent, I am taking my medicine. Yeah. And when I repent, I am just righting the wrongs. I am. Mm -hmm. And so I see, and I see justice in me using my privilege to turn things around as repentance. So I feel like I do need to just repent of my ancestry, <laughs> of what they've done. Of what, of what? And I, because you, you know, you yeah. brought up a point in between shows, Danielle, that many groups have, in fact, repent like for example many churches have repented of their historical involvement in slavery 
or their treatment of the Jewish people. Or their treatment of the Jewish like that people. Was, that was big when I was growing up and in that, evangelicalism. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I... Um, yeah, and so I think I'm just going to backtrack and say I just have to repent. There you go. Okay, yeah. Turn from that legacy. Turn from. Turn mm-hmm. from that legacy. All and right. turn towards <laughs> justice. But but see, now we get to the denial. Okay, yeah, let's <laughs> move on. I just had to articulate that before we uh, moved on. Mm-hmm. It's good. Okay, we deny that Christians should segregate themselves into into racial groups or regard racial identity above or equal to their identity in Christ. We deny that any divisions between people groups from an unstated attitude of superiority to an overt spirit of resentment have any legitimate place in the fellowship of the redeemed. We reject any teaching that encourages racial groups to view themselves as privileged oppressors or entitled victims of oppression. Oh dear. While we are to weep with those who weep, we deny that a person's feelings of offense or oppression necessarily prove that someone else is guilty of sinful behavior, oppression, or prejudice. Okay, well. here it is. This is it. This is <laughs> this is the big one. This is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. This is what we've been swimming through all the uh, all the mush to get to. I, I guess. Feel like yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so here we go. I, as a white person, cannot necessarily speak to what it would what it means for an for a black person or a person of another ethnic or racial or or you know minority to identify themselves with others of that group so i'm gonna go ahead and say that if african-american or other ethnic minority groups want to celebrate and uh, uphold their identity as a part of that group more power to them because you know for i feel like people do that for a lot of reasons because they may have experienced so much hurt and discomfort and uh you know all sorts of things in the greater context of culture that their identity as part of that ethnic or racial minority is very important to them and needs to be acknowledged if they want it to be i i'm really uncomfortable with this idea that you know, shouldn't segregate themselves into racial groups or regard racial identity above or even equal to their identity in Christ. On some level, I agree with that. But I I feel like the subtext here is being used to say, well, you shouldn't identify yourself with your minority racial or racial or ethnic group because, you know, you're a Christian. And I am not about to say that that's wrong or to take that away from people. You know, one of the things that really got me through my 20s was taking on the label of queer and taking on Mm -hmm. the label of gay. Yeah. Owning that. And what I often tell people, because people often hear these conversations about identity as this false dichotomy between individualism, between individuality and group identity, to which I want to say, if you don't know my experience as a gay person, which is very much a shared experience that isn't absolute that's an approximation not all gay people have the same experience but the, but it rhymes our experience rhymes with each other mm-hmm. and if you don't know that about me if you don't know my experience and how that experience rhymes with the experience of so many other lgbt people you do not in fact know me as an individual 
Yeah, we were, wow, to view themselves as privileged oppressors or entitled victims of oppression. Yeah, but but what if they are? What if that's just true? (laughs) What if that's just a lived reality that happens? Uh, And then to go on. While, quote, while we are to weep with those who weep, we deny that a person's feelings of offense, feelings of offense or oppression necessarily prove that someone else is guilty of sinful behaviors, uh, oppression or prejudice. Well, to me, that essentially sounds like, you know, oh, gosh, that that's gaslighting. That's gaslighting in a huge, huge way. Just because you feel offended by what I said doesn't mean it's offensive. Um, Yeah. It does. Uh, And to say that it's quote unquote feelings of oppression, prejudice or injustice. This is this is kind of where my research comes in, because that to me and you can you can jump in here if you feel like I'm analyzing this incorrectly. To me, that feels like they're saying all of this guff about people being treated poorly is imaginary. It's all in your feelings. You just feel that way. Do you think I'm misreading this? Because that's what that sounds like to me. That's what it sounds like Is they're essentially saying, all this stuff about people being oppressed is just made up. Yeah. No, it's just a (sighs) denial of... of, it's the denial <laughs> of injustice. And it's and here's the thing that here's the thing that really boggles my mind is it is the denial of shared experience. Yeah. It's a denial yeah. that certain groups of people experience what they say they experience. Often have similar experiences. And no, yeah. it isn't absolute. This is approximations. Mm-hmm. Not every gay man Often. in the world is going to have the same experience that I do. Nope. But they many rhyme. gay people people do. Yeah. And then when systemic when when systemic oppression comes in, so so not every gay person is going to experience the cultural uh homophobia that I experience and there are certainly forms of homophobia that I personally haven't experienced. This isn't to say that all experience of oppression within a minority group is the same. No. But but what it's saying is that groups of people often have the same experience. Yeah. And if you are a marginalized I mean, group, you will often band together as a form of survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. To, <laughs> and to deny that, to, to deny, it's just this denial. It's amazing to that me. That groups of people often experience the Similar same Similar forms of oppression. For example, I haven't been raped, but I've been catcalled. Yeah. I've been catcalled. Like I have. I, uh, you know... Have never been, yeah, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. I have never experienced a boss grabbing my ass, but I have experienced someone refusing to pick up the other side of a piece of furniture with me until a dude came and got my end. And that is something that I have never experienced <laughs> no, because I'm a dude. because you're a dude. Yeah. I no. have, however, been called a faggot. Mm-hmm. Which I have not because I'm straight. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the idea that certain groups of people just don't have shared experience is is ridiculous. Is it odd. Is, is this odd conspiracy theory-esque denial mm-hmm. of reality. Of the reality of people's experiences because it is not, quote, your experience. If you are a straight white man, you probably have not even observed some of these experiences. Well, also, straight straight white men, I feel like, 
are at the top of the food chain, so right. to speak, in many ways. That isn't to say that they don't suffer. They no. do. Men do have a higher suicide rate than women, uh, but that's another topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, men tend to take more lethal jobs, tend mm-hmm. to die younger. Okay, all of these are realities. Yep. But, but none of that changes the fact that men are more privileged, that men have more power, so on and so forth. In general. In general. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to... Oh boy, uh, here's here's where my research came in. Feelings of oppression, prejudice. Because in one of the resource articles, and I'm trying to remember which one at the moment, um, and I believe it was the one, at any rate, one of the resource articles talked about changing laws is something that we should engage in. And beyond that, you know, that's where our responsibility ends, is we have to change the unjust laws. And then the implication being, we'll all be fine and there'll be equality of opportunity and we'll all be okay to just, you know, get on with our lives. And I'm like, no, laws, as you have so aptly pointed out in this statement on social justice and the gospel, don't necessarily change minds and hearts. They don't necessarily <laughs> fix the problem. Right. And so I'm going to bring up, for example, research conducted by the National Bureau of Economic Research in July of 2003 in an article entitled, Are Emily and Greg More Employable Than Lakeisha and Jamal? Right. This was done by Marion Bertrand and Sandil Mulainathan. I'm so sorry for how I pronounced that last name. Sandil Mulainathan, I believe. And their findings were that white names on resumes, so what they did was they made up identical resumes, identical in experience, identical in you know education and all this, these other things, and they simply put different names on the top. Uh, in one case, they used what? Jamal Washington and Lakeisha Jones, and they used something along the lines like Emily Walsh and Greg Baker. Some very stereotypically white names and some very stereotypically black names. And what they found is that white names received 50% more callbacks than black ones. In other words, black names were 33% less likely to get a callback from an identical resume. This held true from small businesses to giant corporations. It just held true. It held true across the board. Uh, it also meant that White names would have to put out 10 resumes to get a callback. Black names would have to put out 15 resumes to get a mm. callback. This is what these statistics boil down and to. this is not is a, a real feeling. bias. This is not a feeling. No, this is, this is an actual and, economic disadvantage. And it, which means, which suggests to me that it's actually quite the opposite. That mm. it is the writers of this statement whose feelings are offended, yeah. whose intuition... By the idea that, by the you know, idea that they would that be part of an facts. oppressive... How could I be part of an oppressive group? <laughs> and no, it doesn't mean that you are personally, personally perpetrating acts of oppression every day. It means you are benefiting from a system that gives you more privileges, that right. inherently prefers you in terms of economics and in terms of the social of, of the uh, criminal justice system, ha! Huh? Yes. Because you know, I've heard I've heard it said. Well, how can you say that you know police violence is more it affects black people more than it does white people when more white people are killed by the police? Well, you have to adjust for population. For example, there are more white people in the United States yes. than black people. Exactly. And so, <laughs> black people are killed at a higher rate black and and according to the website mappingpoliceviolence.org black people are three times more likely to be killed by the police than white people yep once you adjust for population yep 30 percent 
of black victims are unarmed. They have no weapons on them, while 21% of white victims are, uh, are unarmed. In other words, more white people are carrying weapons and therefore an actual threat to police lives. Yes. It's just, I mean, the statistics, once you start looking into them, are astounding. Do not bear this out. Or do not bear out the idea that, that these are just... That this is a feeling. That this is just a feeling. This is just people with hurt feelings. What, what a lazy mm-hmm. excuse to not I'm examine sorry, other to people's experience. To, to think that your experience is everyone is almighty well and that okay so that's the other thing that i was good that i was trying to articulate a while ago Mm. is i feel like white guys are don't are not aware of the waters they swim in whereas those of us who have to fight for our survival are if you're a fish do you know you're wet if you always experience privilege do you, do you then, are you aware? Are you, you aware know? that you have an identity? Are you aware that you have social groups? You have an identity. You have social social groups and social identities, including your own individuality. But you, but you do have a group identity. But because it has never come under siege, that part of your identity has not been activated. But that doesn't mean it isn't there. Just because you aren't aware of it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Doesn't mean it just because it's not your experience does not mean that it is not a valid experience. Exactly. Okay. That was a lot. So there we go. And again, this these are waters that I feel fairly uncomfortable swimming in simply because I'm white. Yeah. I run in primarily white circles. I I need guidance here if people want to get it. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say, well, uh, minorities have an obligation to, you know, to hold my hand or, or walk me through this. But if someone wants to, please. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Or other white people who just know more than me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Who just know more about this. Like we, we want to change things. We want to help. And we acknowledge that we are and have been part of the problem. Okay. Okay. So, dear listeners, we're going to make this a marathon. Ah! We're going to turn this into one gigantic episode. Um, the super episode. Because I, I just have a ton of interviews that I need to to still air <laughs> for ah! the rest of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, other topics I want to cover this year. So, we're going to turn this into a gargantuan into a gargantuan episode, and you can break it up into little pieces if you'd like. Um, yeah, no, you do have that option. Good point. Okay, so the next statement is number 13. Wait. You said that like a game show host. Is number 13. <laughs> <laughs> we affirm. I'm going to take these headphones off. They, they're yeah, like no, they're, earmuffs. They're just giant and hot. Ugh, it's so hot in here. Oh, my God. Okay. We affirm that some cultures operate on assumptions that are inherently better than those of other cultures because of the biblical truths that inform those worldviews that have produced these distinct assumptions. Those elements of a given culture that reflect divine revelation should be celebrated and promoted. But the various cultures out of which we have been called all have features that are worldly and sinful, and therefore those sinful features should be repudiated for the honor of Christ. We affirm that whatever evil influences to which we have been subjected via our culture can be and must be overcome through conversion and the training of both mind and heart through biblical truth. Hmm. Okay, I... 
my brain. Oh, okay. My brain too. I know. I'm being baked. It's being baked. Yeah, we're in this boiling hot living room doing this and if this is what hell is actually like, <laughs> I, I might believe it. I might believe you're it. You're talk about some really difficult concepts in front of lots of people while you're really, really warm. <laughs> and, and tired. And tired. Okay, we affirm that some cultures operate on assumptions that are inherently better than those of other cultures. That statement I that statement I agree with alone. It's I do think that some cultures are healthier than others. Now, culture does not mean ethnicities in my mind. No or races this Mm -mm. is not a statement about race or ethnicity but culture is another thing than both of those and yes some cultures are more healthy than others the the online 4chan culture not very healthy no i've been in some very healthy cultures and i've been in some very unhealthy cultures so if we're just talking about culture yes some are superior to others That does not, in my mind, mean certain races are better than others. That does not, in my mind, mean certain ethnicities are better than others. And if, you know, the previous statements of this statement are to be believed, neither do these people. I, I, yeah, I just... Where, okay, where I don't agree is the rest of the sentence. Because of the biblical truths that inform those worldviews that have produced these distinct assumptions. Again, I don't see much... I think that there is evidence that shows that church going makes people happier. I don't think there's evidence that shows church going or the presence of a Bible in someone's life makes someone more moral. I, I don't think that's true. In fact, I would argue that it might be the opposite, unfortunately. I think there is a, uh, a really um, interesting book uh, with some pretty compelling evidence called The Devil You Know, which shows a correlation between religiosity and violence, hmm. in part because it might actually shut people down to the level of critical thought and openness to new ideas that's required to be moral in this multicultural day and age. Well, and I think I've experienced this and I think we've we've seen this across various denominations. Sometimes receiving forgiveness from God is almost used as a carte blanche. And I don't think that that's Orthodox Christian theology, but I think it happens. And even if it was Orthodox Christianity, it would still be wrong. Yeah, no. But like, (laughs) yeah, using God's forgiveness as a, well, then I can just go on doing what I've been doing. Uh, I think that that does creep in. That sort of just psychologically just does kind of creep in of, oh, well, I've received forgiveness, so it's fine. Right, right. Well, also a good example of this is someone recently on the House of Heretics podcast over on Patreon said that she was sexually assaulted by a pastor when she was 13 years old and she'd not even her husband was on the podcast with me and she didn't hadn't even told her husband this like this was something she shared on the podcast and she said that as an example of just the horrors and she said she knows so many women who have experienced abuse at the hands of Protestant and non-denominational and evangelical ministers. But not allowing women in positions of power in the church doesn't inhibit their flourishing. Right, exactly. So, you know, I bring all that up to point out that the Bible does nothing to make people more moral. It has to do with one's interpretation of the Bible. Do you think I'm wrong about that? I, I 
don't actually like if like your I interpretation said, the Bible has been used to justify right. really truly horrific like things. if you have an interpretation yeah. of scripture that's which reads all of scripture through the lens of those passages where it says god hates the god various ha- things god hates anyone who doesn't follow him like it says over and over and over again mm-hmm. in the old testament yeah. God hates those who do not worship him. God hates those who are idolaters. God hates those. Well, then you're going to have a very different interpretation of all the other passages, if that's true. Or if you read scripture through the lens of For God so loved the for world. For God so loved the world. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. through the lens of God is drawing all things to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, God is redeeming all things. Well, then you're going to have a very different interpretation of Scripture. So it all comes down to interpretation, in my opinion. Have we read the deny yet? Not yet. Okay. We deny that individuals and subgroups in any culture are unable, by God's grace, to rise above whatever moral defects or spiritual deficiencies have been engendered or encouraged by their respective cultures. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I wonder why y'all seem to be refusing to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the truly courageous thing, the truly strong and courageous thing to do here would be to ask whether the critiques are true. Yeah, is to is to look this in the face and say, "Well, am like, I? Have I?" Like if you really want to be a strong person, then confront this Face stuff. up to critique. Face up to critique and don't just release another fucking statement about how they're all wrong, but actually engage with dialogue. That takes a lot of work. Yeah. Shall we move on to number... Number 14, 14. which... Oh, boy. Okay. Number 14, racism. Oh, dear. Yeah. We affirm that racism is a sin rooted in pride and malice, which must be condemned and renounced by all who would honor the image of God in all people, with you so far. Yep. Such racial sin can subtly or overtly manifest itself as racial animosity or racial vainglory. Such sinful prejudice or partiality falls short of God's revealed will and violates the royal law of love. We affirm that virtually all cultures, including our own, at times contain laws and systems that foster racist attitudes and policies okay so okay this is what we call systemic racism and i just i have to wonder why they're willing to acknowledge it but because not consider it something to be opposed this is just full of this doesn't read as very coherent no especially that in comparison to some of the previous statements we've read yeah it doesn't it doesn't I'm I'm because then it logically follows it logically follows that if there are at time quote at times we that quote virtually all cultures including our own at times contain laws and systems that foster racist attitudes and policies yeah. does that then not mean that certain groups of people will be marginalized and that other groups of people will be privileged and that other groups of people of will be privileged and systems and that that is not and just if it's a, a sin then we should repent then of it. we should repent of it and also it isn't <sighs> just hurt feelings right it really exists any well let's get to the denial okay we deny that treating people with sinful partiality or prejudice is consistent with biblical christianity we deny that only those in positions of power are capable of racism 
or that individuals of any particular ethnic groups are incapable of racism. With you so f- Well, with you so far-ish. We deny that systemic racism is in any way compatible with the core principles of historic evangelical convictions. Okay. We deny that the Bible can, can be legitimately used to foster or justify partiality, prejudice, or contempt toward other ethnicities. We deny that the contemporary evangelical movement has any deliberate agenda to elevate one ethnic group and subjugate another. Ah, and we emphatically deny that lectures on social issues or activism aimed at reshaping the wider culture are as vital to the life and health of the church as the preaching of the gospel and the exposition of scripture. Historically, such things tend to become distractions that inevitably lead to departures from the gospel. So what they're oh worried my. So what they're worried about is becoming what C.S. Lewis calls Christianity and I think so. Where, yeah. yeah. So what Lewis says is that the and uh, could be anything. Could be yeah. Christianity the and, and vegetarianism. Yeah. Christianity he, and playing bridge. Christianity and candles. Just he, anything. And yeah. he goes on to say that it should just be mere Christianity because what ends up happening is the and almost always comes to replace the Christianity. And I. That's and, a thing to look out for. In some ways, I get what Lewis is saying there, but I've just heard that quote used in so many ways in so many horrible ways in so many horrible ways because i'm sorry christianity does in fact have lots of ands those ands meaning implications real world implications christianity has a lot of real world implications and to deny that is just kind of absurd I, those, so some of these I'm with. So what they're afraid of is... Don't treat people with partiality or prejudice. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Go on. Um, you know, of course, not only those in positions of power are capable of racism. Everyday people can can do it too. Or that individuals, yeah, or groups are incapable. Everybody can. Yep, yep. Uh, they're incompatible. Racism in, is incompatible with evangelical convictions. It's incompatible with the Bible. Then we get to, we deny that the contemporary evangelical movement has any deliberate agenda to elevate one ethnic group and subjugate another. I would encourage our listeners to go and look up a song called Love Broke Through by Toby Mac, who is a very popular Christian contemporary Christian music artist. And then maybe think about the implications of that song, but particularly the accompanying music video. Yes, because that. Yeah, I have, I've heard you. I've heard you talk about the music video, but I have, yeah. haven't actually seen it. So, could you describe it? Okay. For so for in the listeners? this music video, you see, it starts off with a young man, and he's in what is presumably his home, and his you know, there's an older man too, who's presumably his grandfather. They are both African American. Uh, the grandfather seems to be pleading with the young man to not do something, and the young man kind of blows him off and and goes off into the neighborhood. He meets up with another young African-American man. Uh, they put on bandanas, which are specifically coded to look villainous. One is of a skull, one is of the Joker. Like, they're just yeah. half-face bandanas, and they're specifically sinister ones. Meanwhile, this is... All of this footage of these two young men walking towards something, putting on bandanas. One picks up a baseball bat. They're walking to something clearly is juxtaposed with footage of a young white man dressed all in black carrying a bag who is also on his way somewhere. Uh, You see a photo of that 
young white man. I, I think at one point he maybe even like says a prayer. He pulls out a photo of his family. You know, he's portrayed very sympathetically and that's that's cool. Uh, and the young white, young black men are increasingly picking up signifiers of violence, the baseball bat, the bandanas, etc. And finally, you realize that all of this has been building up to the young men attending a Black Lives Matter protest. And the young white man is a cop who is policing this Black Lives Matter protest. The young black men are shown participating in activities like bouncing a car. There's like flames in the background. It's all shown as very sinister and violent and destructive to property. The young white policeman, you get close ups of his face and he's looking scared at one point. So then the, the, everything hits a climax when the older gentleman, the, the young man's grandfather from before, the older African-American gentleman, shows up at the protest and one of and the, and the young man who we've been focusing on, the young African-American man, throws a rock at the police and it hits his grandfather, at which point he rushes forward to help his grandfather. And the, uh, the young white police officer does the same. They both go to help this elderly gentleman. They view each view the other as aggressive and they start yelling at each other. And the, and the African-American gentleman gets on his knees, throws up his arms and, you know, does all of these signifiers of prayer as Toby Mac swings into the chorus of love broke through. And all we need is love, you guys. We just have to pray about this. <laughs> and I don't deny that prayer is valuable, but faith without works is dead. And this music video I found to be so deeply troubling and offensive because on so, so, so many levels, it views the voice of of african-american people and in in this context it's one of the few outlets of voice that the community has i.e protest in such a which negative is legal and which valid. is legal according to the united you know according to the laws of the united states protest is absolutely legal freedom of speech and all that assembly and association it is legal to protest. Has there been destruction of property at these protests? Sometimes, yes. But I'm sorry, would you rather I break your window or shoot you in the face? At that, con conflating the idea that destruction of property is just as bad and harmful as destruction of human life is quite frankly repulsive. Don't even. Or the the allowing the destruction of property to be an excuse to not examine to why not examine these why are these doing, people are angry are doing what they're doing which i'm sorry is cowardly and lacks integrity truly yeah truly to say well they did this thing that's kind of bad therefore i'm not going to look at why they did it some uh no rebecca traster who's who's a writer i follow also said something really interesting where she said that and i think it was in an interview with I want to say Ezra Klein, where she said that no one ever stopped, you know, she always, she says, we always hear people say, you know, when was the first act of violence at these protests? It was when so-and-so threw this rock or it was when so-and-so broke this window. And she said, no one actually stops to ask or no one stops to observe that the first act of violence was all the history of oppression and abuse and t literal violence on the part of the police towards mm -hmm. the black community. In some community. cases, torture. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Torture. And the fact is, abuse is invisible to us when it is perpetrated by the majority. Particularly when it's perpetrated by law enforcement because they have all the power. Yeah, exactly. In that situation. It, 
it tends to be invisible to us anyway. Yeah. Have we read the deny yet? That was that was my response to the deny because they're denying, okay. for example, that, you know, the contemporary evangelical movement has any deliberate agenda to elevate one ethnic group and subjugate another. You voted for Donald Trump. I call bullshit. Well, also, <laughs> I wonder if this is a subtle way of saying, well, black people can be racist, too. No, they can't. They can be prejudiced. Racism is, and I know that they say, they deny that racism is a matter of power, but... It's not. It is. Yeah. It, no, it is. We we all have prejudices, but here's the thing. When I am prejudiced towards a black person, I can call the cops on a black person, and that black, that black person's life is destroyed forever. Probably. A black person mm-hmm. could be prejudiced against me. Mm-hmm. But they probably would not call the cops. And it has no teeth. Yeah. Because who the fuck would believe a black person, unfortunately? That's kind of the, the, that's pre- that's the, the prevailing reality. That is the horrific, mm-hmm. awful reality. It matters who has the power. And so racism has come to mean that, it mat- that racism is prejudice in the hands of power. It's why sexism typically, typically is not used to mean a woman's prejudice against men. Because it has no teeth. Right. It doesn't have any consequences for the victim or for, or the, for the, yeah. the object of For the that object prejudice. of that prejudice. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, yeah. It, so, basically, what I also what I hear them saying here is they're like, yeah, social justice is good and all that, but, it, but we don't want it to replace the gospel, which... It is, in, it is intrinsically bound it with is the gospel. In, intimately bound with the gospel. Yeah. You can't have one without the yeah. other. Because here's the thing, what is the sort of, you know, you you need the grace of God to help human, fallible human beings overcome these, these things, these tendencies, these systems. You absolutely do. You need the redeeming grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're humans. We need it. And so, you know, to, to have one without the other, I, in either direction, isn't great. It's yeah. not great. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh. We're almost there. Well, there is an addendum. Oh. <laughs> the addendum are the other statements that we've already covered. <laughs> <laughs> the, yes. The Danvers statement and the national statement. And the national statement. statement. Let's oh see. The gosh. addendum says, for more detailed consideration of some of the issues raised in this statement, we recommend the following two documents. Cool. Danvers statement and Nashville statement, which I have already <laughs> done series on. So Go to those series. Go to those series. Just look them up on your podcast player and they'll come up. All right. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Now we get to some history information. You would have thought they would have put this first. Like in the introduction or something. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. All right. Do you want to read this whole thing? I think I do. I think I do. And this is by Tom Askell, uh, one of the signers. What was that last name? Askell. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. By the way, I just have to interject. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was recently at the Verizon store upgrading my iPhone and this guy had an accent. Uh, oh. He would be like, so what's your email again? And I would be like, oh, it's S. Bradford Long. And then he would always say, ass Bradford Long. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so oh. every single time he said <laughs> my my screen name or my password or not my password any every time he said my email uh he said ass bradford long (laughs) (laughs) and i didn't say anything but i thought it was kind of cute it was funny i thought it was very amusing well this is by tom askel so askel 
we can make of that what we like. I, we, I'm going to, I'm not going to sink to that <laughs> level. I'm not going to do it. Okay. I'm well, not. here we go. The statement on social justice and the gospel grew out of a meeting that took place on June 19th, 2018. 14 men met in Herb's House coffee shop in Dallas, Texas. Why am I not surprised by any of that? <laughs> um, having all expressed our growing concern with much that was taking place within evangelical circles under the banner of social justice. Josh Buis organized the meeting. I think that's how you say his name. Michael O'Fallon helped facilitate it along with Phil Johnson. Though all of us had relationships with some of us, some of those in the room, I don't think any of us knew everyone. As a result of a time of study, fellowship, and prayer, we decided to engage in the formation of a statement that would express our concern theologically and in a succinct, succinct, balanced way. I was given the responsibility to write the original draft, which upon completion consisted of an introduction and 13 articles containing affirmations and denials. Josh Buis made initial edits and additions to the statement, and then it was made available to all 14 participants for reviewing and editing. Some men made no suggestions. If you made several, I might skip over some of them. Blurdy, blurdy, blur. Um, once the latest draft was posted on a password-protected website, it was made available in August to a wider group of readers for suggestions, feedback, and and support final revisions etc published so september boring. 4th 2018 yeah this is so boring <laughs> the intent of the framers of this statement has been from the beginning to address ideas and doctrines not people and organizations some of these ideas are being promoted from sectors of the evangelical world that we and others have greatly esteemed and respected we have tried to highlight the views that we find dangerous to and incompatible with the teachings of scripture by clearly stating what we affirm and deny the statement makes no claim of any ecclesiastical authority. It is issued for the purpose of calling attention to and clarifying concerns. We have spoken on these issues with no disrespect or loss of love for our brothers and sisters who disagree with what we have written. That's Rather, good. our hope is that this statement might actually provoke the kind of brotherly dialogue that can promote unity in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we all love and trust. Well, so I feel like, well, well you're succeeding. Well done. There because, you go. Dialogue. Podcasters like me are responding. Yeah. So... I feel like if I'd read that first, it would have been a different story. Not, no, it wouldn't have been a different story, but maybe <laughs> slightly different vibe. Slightly different vibe. I, um, I have to wonder if all of them agree, quite agree with all of that, if yeah. that's completely in good faith. I, I Probably on this guy's part, it seems to be. I don't know. Really, dialogue? I, I heard a lot of fear-mongering and, and end-of-the-worldism in that introduction that belie maybe to me that stance of you dialogue see, that's what i'm saying is if this was the introduction yeah, instead of that yeah i would have i feel less, differently about it i would have i mean i still would have seriously disagreed and still would see it as problematic and dangerous sure but maybe i would have been less combative tone might have been a little different my tone might have been different not what not the yeah. content but then they <laughs> but didn't the make that the introduction they made the introduction which is telling know. Yeah, yeah. They made the introduction about we're right, you're wrong. Be afraid of all these changes. Slippery slope. Everything will go to pot if we don't stop it. So not necessarily addressing this final bit, but just the, the statement as a whole. I really feel like this is the weakest statement we've read. Me too. Together. This, Me too. This isn't it's very, honestly rehashing a lot of ground well, other people have already covered. It, is, it also it doesn't feel very coherent or well put together, honestly. No. It, it feels... Well, weaker I, to me honestly, than the Danvers it feels, or Nashville. The whole time, it feels like somebody who's like, I'm a good person, I can't be racist. I'm a good person, I can't. It's not me. Which, 
I, I mean, I'll say I get that because I, understand that I was that whiny person. I was that whiny, fragile person for a period of my life. And then yeah. I realized, here's what I realized. If I want to be strong, if I want to be courageous, if I want to be noble, I just have to face it. Yeah. I have to just fa- face up. To I just it. have to face it. Maybe I'm not a good person in every way I thought I was. And if I want to be a good person, then I have to confront that well, and, and get the fuck over it. There are sins of omission as well as sins of commission. Not everyone who benefits from a racist system is racist. It's true. But you might still be benefiting from that racist system. Uh, it's it's so complicated, guys. It is. And like, oh man, maybe people will murder me for this confession. But it's about to get a little real. Because sometimes if I'm out walking after dark and I see a young African-American man approaching me. Let me clarify, any, almost any young man who approaches me, I'm wary of, I have, I have uneasiness about, but maybe I feel a little more of it when it's a young African-American man, and that's terrifying to me. Me too. That's, that's horrifying to me. That is, it's, you know... Yeah. Me too. It's, it's deeply disturbing and grieving, and but there it is. And if I am going to be a strong person who reacts appropriately to all of these to to these issues, I have to look at that in myself and think about why. And I don't think that the the answer is that I'm an evil person. I no. think it's that I've been swimming in these racist waters for my entire life as a white woman. Something, yeah. No, I, I've had the exact same experience. And, you know, it, it's deeply humbling and deeply horrifying to come face to face with this kind of racism within myself where when I see a person of color who might look a bit rough, my immediate reaction is defense. Whereas I see a, an older homeless white man who looks a bit rough and I think, oh, he's a veteran, you know, he's torn up inside, you know, he's he's mentally ill. And there is and it's instant. And is there shame? Is there guilt? Do I battle through that? Do I battle through the shame of experiencing that? Yes. And even doing this podcast has been a really interesting experience for me because for the next wave of interviews that I'm planning, I'm trying to get more people of color, more queer people and more women onto the show and realizing that I naturally, of my own accord, gravitate towards having on white men. And if you look at most of my episodes, they are mostly men Mm -hmm. and I haven't had a single person of color on the show and realizing and the only reason I have realized this is because I have uh, I've gone I'm starting to notice it and think about having people of color and greater diversity onto the show and I have this subconscious bias that I wasn't even aware of as I was doing this show. And I am one of the quote unquote good liberals, right? And this is what people mean when they say even good liberals can be racist. (laughs) This is what that means, that, that people like me and Danielle can have these prejudices and not even necessarily be aware of them. And so, yeah, it's a thing. It's real. And the the real test of character and dignity and integrity is whether we turn and confront that, whether we turn and face that. And and that can make or break our integrity. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, that that to me is the gospel. 
We're all going to sin, but what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond when we are confronted with our own sin? Exactly. Exactly. When I am, and you know, I think part of this is because of my experience of being queer. And so I think because of that, because of that experience, I am more likely to see the ways in which I have oppressed other people because I have seen the ways good people have oppressed me. Same as a lady person. Well, well well-intentioned people have oppressed me as a queer person. I also just hope that that I will always have the strength and the humility to accept wrongdoing when I'm at fault. Uh, I can't promise that I will always have that strength, but I will definitely try. Something that has really helped me is the 12-step concept of a fearless moral inventory and that we just have to get over shame. We just have to get over the paralyzing shame and take a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And so when I did the fearless moral inventory with my sponsor, I think it's the it's the fourth or fifth step. Uh, and when I did that fearless moral inventory, it it sucked and it took me months and it was so terrifying. But then I got it all out of my system with my sponsor. My sponsor and I, we went to a coffee shop. We sat through. We went through all my notes and she just listened. That act of being able to share it with someone, all of these horrible things that I've done and thought <laughs> and been, all the, uh, and sharing that with someone else who is not judgmental at all, getting it out of my system, confronting it suddenly meant that I could change, that I could start to grow out of it. Mm -hmm. Do you have any final thoughts? I think this statement honestly comes from a place of fragility and ignorance and a deep desire to be acceptable and okay. And I don't know, I invite anyone who deeply and in good faith agrees with this statement to engage with people with who you know with with us even people with whom you disagree and to think about why you might deeply agree with this statement mm-hmm. and to <laughs> to all of the people of color out there whom Stephen and I have in a sense been speaking for I'm sorry <laughs> I yes, know y'all too. have your own voices and you're using them and um, if I can be a better ally please let me know that too me too how what did you know what did i do badly uh what should i do more of what's going on yeah me too for those of us who want to engage with us because we are not your responsibility but for those but for those of us who want to uh we want to be your friends and learn from you well i think that's a great note to end on this has been a marathon of an episode i'm not quite sure what i'm going to do with this i might just post the whole thing or i might cut it up into parts we'll see but thank you danielle for this fabulous conversation thanks for having me on so the music is by the jelly rocks from the album bang and whimper you can find it on itunes and spotify i need to thank my team carson green justin caleb bryant for keeping me sane they do all the artwork all the social media they do all the posting for me they do a lot of the managing for me so i owe a lot of this show to them special thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com forward slash stephen bradford long i can't do this without them and if you would like to join their number i would love to have you on board you can recommend shows like this one this this entire series was recommended by preston over on patreon for just five dollars a month or even one dollar a month you will get a 
separate podcast called the House of Heretics podcast uh, once a week. Uh, this show really is impossible without your help. I already work full time and I do this podcast on top of it. It's a ton of work and I really need to start generating at least some kind of income for doing this because uh, it's a lot of energy. So I, if whatever you're able to do to support it, I, I really, really appreciate it. This podcast is written and edited by me, Stephen Long, and it is a production of Rock Candy Media. We will see you next week.